This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions, www.cosproductions.com. Please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle. Hello, everybody. It's Thursday, May 28th, and this is Readers Entertainment Radio with Patricia W. Fisher. I am so happy that um, officially here, school, this would be the last day of school if they were in class, but all of my kids, thankfully, um, are done with all of their studies, and I'm happy to say that all of them will be going to the next level. Um, There were some times there that I thought I would totally lose my brain making sure they uh, finished all their schoolwork and I kept checking and rechecking. And um, so I wanted to say a quick shout-out to all the teachers out there who worked their tails off um, this last couple of months, thrown into a lot of crazy to make sure that all of our kiddos um, get to the next level. And if everybody you know, hearing me can just reach out and thank a teacher, even if uh, you don't have kids or your kids are grown or they've moved, uh, they, you know, you have grandkids or nieces, nephews, godchildren, what have you, um, just, you know, reach out and say thank you to them because, man, they they worked hard. Um, so, and in the this today also, I wanted to say um, it's also the very end of Foster Care Awareness Month, so please be sure to um, look and look into that. If you've ever been curious about fostering a child, um, there's multiple organizations that can help you look into that. And if you need any help with that, don't don't hesitate to reach out to me. I'm glad to help you. Um, but foster care is one of the ways that you know you can expand your family, and you can simply just give a child a very safe, uh, nurturing place to be. So um, definitely, if you have ever thought about it, certainly look into it. So. With all that keep in mind, to keep in mind, I also wanted to bring you today an amazing, an amazing author who's going to be with us here in just a second. Um, her name is Sonali Dev. USA best-selling author Sonali Dev writes Bollywood-style love stories to let her explore issues faced by women around the world while still indulging in her faith in Happily Ever After. Sonali's novels have been on Library Journal, NPR, Washington Post, and Kirkus Best Books of the Year list. She has won the American Library Association Award for Best Romance, the RT Reviewer Choice Award for Best Contemporary Romance, multiple RT Seals of Excellence, is a Rita, let's see, one second. Um is a Rita finalist and has been listed for a Dublin Literary Award. Shelf Awareness calls her not only one of the best, but one of the bravest romance novelists working today. She lives in Chicagoland with her very patient and often amused husband and two teens who demand both patience and humor and the world's most perfect dog. Her latest book, Recipe for Persuasion, is available now, and you can find her at her website, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And she is calling right now, so we will... um, uh, one second. Uh, so she is calling right now, and we will have. Um, I am so excited to talk to her because I have heard her speak, and her books are beautiful, and um, not just visually to look at the covers, but also to um, to read. So here we go. Hello, Miss Sonali. How are you? Hi, Patricia. I'm uh, fabulous, a little um, crazed and frazzled because it's release week, but really good. Thank you. Yeah, 
Oh, I was just I was mentioning um, that the kids are finally done with school um, because you know I've been having to check and recheck and make sure everybody's assignments are turned in because everybody's been out. Um, so are yours yours are officially finished this week or next week? So uh, you know I, I have such great respect for anyone who doesn't have adult children and has younger children. Mine are in college, so I don't oh, actually good. have to check. I don't have to check, um, you know, the the assignment completions and all of that. And I am so grateful for that. So they are done. I they are you home. Are. I get to, yeah, I get to enjoy them, but I don't have to. I only have to feed them, and so, <laughs> and that yeah. too when I can. And so this is, um, it's been the greatest blessing. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes feeding feeding those college students can be um, a lot. So uh, you know, it's, yes, it's just different levels of, me, of chaos. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because they, I have a I have an older boy and a younger girl, and and he like all our twenty one year old boys is a bottomless pit. <laughs> right. But he he actually chases me around sometimes. Like he'll walk really close to me behind my head and go feed me. Feed me, <laughs> you know, like, and and uh, so that's interesting. But he's also very fond of cooking, and uh, you know, loves to feed all of us. And so, so it's it's all good. <laughs> I'm very blessed yes. in that. Um, you know, uh, the girl is easier because, um, yeah, I mean, cookies, brownies—that's basically all she wants to eat, which she you know nice. gets and makes herself. But it is. I mean, you know, we're a cook, uh, cooking family, and it's one of my favorite things to do. So, literally, like that is where my responsibility with the kids, like I keep it in that realm. <laughs> yeah. Well, and um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna jump into it real quick because you know your newest book is about cooking. Um, and being, you know, the people being on a cooking show. And I cannot tell you how many people I've talked to over the years that a lot of their stories that they came up with or created were around food. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's, um, it's, yeah. It, it, it's what ties, I think, ties us together across cultures it's 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 a universal language right i mean that is the right. one thing even even our exposure in the days when we were not exposed to cultures it was our only exposure you know was let's you know chinese food and thai food and indian food and you know it's yeah. It's, yeah. it's um it's it crosses boundaries and within families i think and within um relationships at least in my life and certainly in my books it's um, it's a way of showing affection, right? It's it's a way of nurturing, and um, I mean, in my family, that's um, food is how we celebrate everything. And by my family, I right. mean you know, growing up and now, so it's how we celebrate everything. It's how we. It's my daughter's birthday today, and all our conversations around it since we can't go out have been. You know what do you want to eat, and 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 she's the strange person who has, you know, f- uh, food-related um, traditions for her birthday. So she wants to wake up in the morning and eat watermelon for some some strange yeah, reason. Yeah, So so we had to make sure there was watermelon in the house and a certain kind of cake. And so so it shows care, right? I mean, feeding someone is 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 the most basic form of caring from the day you're born. You know, the first thing, right. if you do nothing else for your child, the one thing you have to do 
um, you know, is, is feed that child. And I think from that point on, it becomes um, our language of love. So it's, I think it's universal. So whether or not a story is overtly about food, I think that, yeah. um, that, that I can't imagine, you know, and so it's a great device um, in stories. Yeah. But, I, but, but I also think it gives depth to understanding that character and their surroundings. And so right. in, in my life, it's a huge deal. And so in my books across the board, it is a huge deal. Well, yes. And, and you know, you've, you've talked about in different lectures and such about the relationships between the women in your family and then, you know, talking about other cultures and such about that. And, the, and food is, seems to be, um, I know with, with my family, um, there was always the, you know, the, like the, I call it the gathering, you know, where all the women were doing one thing, you know. So, like, mm-hmm. we, it, I grew up in Texas, and I have a lot of family from, you know, the south and, and east Texas. And one of the things we would do is we would um, shuck uh, peas. And, you know, so you're out there and you're <laughs> opening the peas and, and putting them in the bowl, and then at the whole time your grandmother or your great-grandmothers are telling stories. Um, or you're helping, um, you know, bone the chicken, or you're helping, you know, there's all these different things that it, you're, yep. you're feeding each other, but you're also feeding each other stories. Um, yes. And it's across cultures, and I, I, you know, granted, you could look at it and saying, well, yeah, the guys were off doing whatever that guys do, and the women do this, but I wouldn't trade any of those stories for, I mean, don't get me wrong. I didn't like shuck, I didn't like peeling the peas, but I would not trade the stories for anything. No, you, you're so right, and it's it's really funny that you brought up shucking peas specifically because I've I've just written um, a scene in my next book where um, where you know the the two main protagonists are actually talking over peas and he's 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 running for California governor he isn't the kind of guy mm-hmm. who's like he's never done that in his life before and he's mm-hmm. standing here with this woman who's trying to help him with you know um, she's a therapist who doesn't want to take him on as a client and, and they're having a conversation so they're actually uh, doing therapy over shucking peas <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's, it mm-hmm. must be something about peas but and and I mean I have some funny stories about um, you know about actually picking peas in a farm and then you know bringing them in uh, my aunt's farm and then bringing them in and the whole community during a celebration sitting down because you're trying to feed a hundred people because there's this right. big thing going on and you know so every child is made to sit down in in the central courtyard and. Um, and and shuck peas, <laughs> so it's yeah. so food um, and the preparation of it is is definitely where a lot of relationshiping, if you will, happens. Right, it's where yes. you bond. And you're you're absolutely right. I spend my summers with my grandmothers. I grew up in India, and um, you know, over the summers we would go and um, spend time with our uh, you know in our grandparents' homes on both sides. And, and and both my grandmothers were one of like thirteen siblings. So their sisters. Okay. So there was this whole house filled with grandmothers, who were all storytellers, right? And yes. and and cooks. And um and it was you're absolutely right. All of the good gossip or all of the, you know, <laughs> um all the all the all the fun stuff and all the opining happened uh, then. 
I mean, these are stories right. you hear over and over again, right? But everybody will analyze it. And, and I think mm-hmm. it's that analysis that, that makes you who you are because your belief system gets um, based in that. But also as a writer and a storyteller, so much of your storytelling becomes like that, like taking an incident and then digging into it and then talking from everyone's perspective, right? It's, everyone mm-hmm. has an opinion on things, on mistakes family members have made. I mean, even if someone's talking about an affair, right? I mean, I got to hear these old women, you know, break that down from every side and, you know, kind of um, <laughs> talk about society at large and you know how it treats women and all of that came into those conversations and and it was all over you know when we were sitting there helping them and and I loved doing it I think one of my mm-hmm. one of the reasons because when I was growing up in India a part of uh, rebellion for women um you know and we grew up very urban um and very cosmopolitan and uh, almost all of my friends had no interest in cooking or being in the kitchen because there was that whole, um, you know, throwing that off um, and breaking mm-hmm. that whole patriarchal schema uh, involved. And so a lot of my friends, you know, our parents didn't pressure us to do it. You know, there was a lot of uh, silent conditioning going on, but everybody was kind of trying to change that. And so most of my friends didn't do that. But I think I always loved to cook. And this was probably one of the reasons was, you know, that that I had spent so much time with aunts and my mom and my grandmothers in kitchens, and so I had um, had very warm associations with it. I also mm-hmm. had very patriarchal <laughs> associations with it, and and I love that you said that about the fact that you know the men were out doing things. So so in terms of storytelling and in terms of life, so I have a boy and a girl, um, mm-hmm. and and my boy loves to cook. Uh, is is much more nurturing than my daughter, who who you know can't boil water. Like if I ask her to boil water, <laughs> I'll find, you know, an empty pan on a flame, and I'm like, where's the right. water? And so um, so so you know, we all um, so again, that becomes um, you know, it's it's food and how we feed each other is also our our the whole gender balance um, is yeah. you know, it says so much about that. But in books. I think I overtly, um, you know, explore or play with um, with how men process that. So, you know, um, in Pride, Prejudice, and Other Flavors, which is the book before Recipe uh, for Persuasion, although, right. of course, they can be read standalone, but he is, and that's a gender-flipped Pride and Prejudice. So he's Lizzie Bennett and she's Darcy, but he's a chef, and, um, you know, she's a neurosurgeon. And she, again, is terrified of the kitchen and she has this you know i mean it's a it's a it's a experience in her childhood that she considers traumatic that the rest of her family makes fun of because it's actually quite silly but she is you know traumatized by it she won't go in a kitchen so here you have a person who can handle the most complex brain tumor but you give her again uh, water to boil and she's like what you want me to do what she freaks out right (laughs) And so when yes. this is a man who takes his food very seriously in terms of what it means to the people he's feeding it, right? So he's, he's, he's this almost food-whispering character who, is, you know, who doesn't yeah. see food as ingredients but sees food as a way to strum people's uh, senses and emotions and, and just bring out, you know, uh, bring out things in them. And so 
so so that whole idea again of what men are supposed to do and women are supposed to do i think um the kitchen and food is a very good battleground for that in life as in story absolutely so when you were thinking about writing that first play at age 8 um <laughs> did you tell what did you tell your 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 matriarchs that you were writing this play or did you just write it and then you told them? Oh, no, it was a, you know, the fact that Sonali writes in our family was like, a, you know, was, was a thing, um, you know, that was um, looked upon with great fondness and amusement and, you know, all the things you do when a child is, you know, is precocious and, um, you know, and, and kind of thinks they can do something, right? I mean, we're all, sure. um, we've all seen that, but, but one of my oldest memories um, is my, you know, is I was sitting down to do my math homework. This is probably, you know, this was kindergarten. And, um, you know, we had math workbooks, those little workbooks that, you know, kids do. And they have right. those um, colorful covers with the division multiplication signs and, you know, the, the eight oranges and the four, whatever it was. It was one of those workbooks. And I remember writing couplets. Uh, about it instead of doing my math homework and uh-huh. my um, so so one of my earliest memories actually is writing even more than reading although i you know was very fond of reading it ever since i could remember but but i actually remember writing um you know as one of my first memories and my mom instead of yelling at me for not doing my homework, was so excited about what I had written. And she got on the phone with her sisters, and she's like, you have to read this thing, um, you know, the poem Sonali wrote. <laughs> and so um, so my family was always, so I was always writing, you know, poetry and rhyming things. I mean, I shouldn't call it poetry, but I was, I was rhyming things and writing these, you know, silly couplets about everything. And then very young, anytime I read a book or watched a movie, I was writing reviews about it. So it just kind of was something I was doing very early. Uh, Even with the play, it was a huge big thing in our community, not in terms of grandeur, but, but, you know, in in the, we, we did a lot of practicing, you know, this little band of scruffy kids who um, right. you know, we, we took it very seriously. Morning, noon, yeah. and night was yeah. a practice. That's all we did. And, you know, on the fly, we changed things. But I was the writer, so I got to change things. So it was very <laughs> much, um, you know, it was very much an every, every family member that visited, again, you know, huge extended family. Anyone who came over, we would, you know, we would act out parts because I also acted <laughs> in the play. And um, yes. and so we would act parts out, and if there were friends, we lived in you know uh, apartments. So and and your friends were you know your neighborhood was up and down your building, and so you'd call your friends and say you know my aunt's over, let's act out a you know scene for her, and then whoever was there would come in, and then people would play whatever part they could at that point, and you know and sure. so it was a lot of fun. It was very much part of. Um, of the family. So yes, so there was no hiding it. It was, I was, uh, you know, the, the, the only place where, um, you know, where, where the pragmatism came in, if you will, was, um, was the fact that, that, that it did not, it could not get in the way of, um, of education and academics. So right. um, I, I think if I had said to my parents that I want to be a novelist and that's what I want to go to college and do, um, it, they would have been worried that I wouldn't be able to feed myself with, you know, with, sure. for good reason. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, uh, but, but that was like such a silent, um, you know, thing that even, 
everybody knew that if you that you needed a real you know quote unquote career and so all right. of this was fun you had and you you know it was a hobby um the word passion wasn't even you know a real thing until um recently in adulthood but but it was just something i really enjoyed doing and uh, and of course i you know and so i went to architecture school i went to, so so as long as it didn't get in the way of academics at that point um there was no there was no hiding it or there was no um stigma or you know everybody really enjoyed it and was um it was very much part of my identity yeah well i think too a, a lot of authors i've talked to it was i you know wrote at night i i write in the morning i write at lunch i write you know until i can make enough with the writing um there are few that i talked to of course that you know that's all they knew they wanted to do and that's what they did um like i i think uh years ago lisa Klepus uh was at rwa and talked about how she had told all her friends in college she was going to be a romance novelist and they all said that's funny and she sold her first book the january before she graduated college and um when her friends said so what are you going to do you know, at graduation, she's like, I already told you what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a romance novelist. I've already sold my first book. And everyone said, yeah, okay, but what are you really going to do? So, yeah, do. Um, yeah. well, we all know what she's really doing. So, yes. uh, but yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting how people go, oh, people do that? I mean, like they really, they really like become writers. Um, at, it's interesting that they say, well, yeah, we see all the books, but people really do that? Yeah, exactly. Or then the opposite of that is true, where people think, oh, you're sitting down in your, you know, in your cabin and uh, writing these books and making millions of dollars, and it's all this very yeah. magical existence where you have a, you know, glass of sherry by your desk, and you know, um, so right. so it's that end, uh, you know, that's the other end of that spectrum. But but you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, there's um, there's Lisa and there's Julia. I think Julia Quinn. And and both those women started. I think it was their first thing they did out of college, and mm-hmm. um, and and you know, uh, the rest is history. But but it's it's rare. I mean, almost everybody else I know has had to do. Uh, you know, including me, has had to do the. You know, I'm I'm, I'm raising kids. I'm doing a day job. I'm you know. Um, mm-hmm doing all of those things and then waking up at four and writing and writing into the night and you know and and it's this um it's it, it, that is a, a more common i think by far story than the this is what i knew and this is what i did um and of course you know i mean those women are incredibly talented um but yeah. and, and they were you know it, it, they were able to do that but i also think um today with um publishing not being as um as as restrictive or you know there being so many avenues where mm-hmm. where publishing can actually make you money <laughs> and it doesn't yeah, have to be sure. hitting the new york times because because really i mean you know you could be a published very popular very critically acclaimed all those things uh, traditionally published author but you cannot support a family with that um, unless right. uh, you're writing, you know, at, at a very feverish pace, which again in traditional publishing is not common. Uh, but but now there are other ways to do it. You know, you can work for yourself. You can um, 
So, so now if somebody said to me, uh, you know, this is my passion and this is all I want to do, uh, it's not, it's not terrifying. It's, you know, you're not right. afraid they're going to starve themselves because there are, there are ways now to do it. You have to, you know, um, it's, it's not that you're going to have to await your hundred rejections and all the other things which were considered completely normal, um, you know, 10 years ago in traditional publishing. So, and of course, right. if you had, uh, if you had diverse stories or if you had stories that were not, uh, quote unquote, again, mainstream, um, you know, stories, then, th- then the terror was, you know, a thousand times multiplied because there was no space for it, right? Where were you going to, uh, there was no space for it. You were told there was no demand for it, all of that. So, so it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't like just a career you picked. It was a, right. a career you picked that had a very slim chance that, you know, that you would immediately uh, bounce right, right into it. So I'm, I was looking through all your books, and if I'm looking at this correctly, the, your first book, um, published book, was the Bollywood, a Bollywood Affair. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So that was published with Kensington, and um, when you submitted and everything, and you got the the call from that, tell me about that call that you got. Okay. Um, yes. <laughs> so it was. Um, so, so the whole way in which I um, sold to Kensington was a little bit, I think, um, untraditional. Because um, I had, um, I, and again, interesting tidbit is The Bollywood Bride, which is my second book, was the one that I sold. Um, it just came out second. So I sold it in a two-book deal, and we flipped the order okay. of the books. But um, <laughs> that's, that has nothing to do with the story. But, but so when I was <laughs> trying to sell uh, The Bollywood Bride, it, um, you know, it was, um, I think, um, it, and, I realize now that, you know, people have had much longer journeys, but I had been submitting it for about a year, uh, maybe two, and uh, two years I had been rejected by, you know, every, I, I love to say every agent in North America. And, um, sure. And, and a lot of it was, you know, we don't know what to do with this. I mean, I, when I started out, it was literally like, what's Bollywood, you know, and what, uh, you know, what's with <laughs> Two Indian protagonists. I'm always amazed. Can we change? I'm always amazed sometimes when people don't know what just like basic pop culture is. I'm like, how do you not know <laughs> what but, but these different? To, you know, I, truth yeah. be told, truth be told, we live in a vastly different world today than we did five years ago, even so, ten That's years ago. Fair. Seven years ago, it was a whole different world. There was no Netflix. There wasn't, you know, um, Korean dramas and Bollywood films and all of that at the press of your finger. It was it was a very very different world. We, it was much mm-hmm. more insular. It was, you know, you know what it was. You were here, <laughs> so yes. Um, and, and and so of course, selling a book called a Bollywood Affair was not the same thing in you know 2012 as it is in 2020. Not nearly the same uh you know and uh, i mean the idea that agents are now agents and editors are putting calls out for you know mm-hmm. um diverse books is i mean it is so insanely gratifying because that world that's a world that has done a 180 times i mean if i could even exaggerate that i can't tell you how much of a difference that is so so in all of that and the fact that this was my first book, you know, so, so there was the whole entire, like selling your first book is hard anyway. And then you're, right. you know, you're trying to sell a book that's called The Bollywood Bride, you know, and, and um, with, with 
entirely populated by Indian people, right? So it wasn't even mm-hmm. um, all the other, um, you know, dolphin clicking kind of uh, messaging of uh, how you make things consumable, you know, by inserting a couple brown characters into a white world and all those things which had kind of, you know, been the norm. Here was a book that right. was none of that, right? It was straight out a certain thing. And um, and and so there was a, you know, I mean, even I was getting rejections that were saying this is some of the most, and I have these emails I, I saved, and I had agents mm-hmm. saying to me, this is some of the most beautiful writing we have read, or to cross our desk, and um, but we don't know what to do with it, you know, or wow. right now uh, I have another, like I've heard everything from right now there's another Indian author that I have, um, you know, and all of that. So it's like, yes, so you were only going to have one. You know what I mean? It was a very right. different world. So, so well, I okay, my box is book. filled, my quota. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it was, and, and, I'll come to that some more. Um, and, and so for two years, I had submitted the heck out of this thing and gotten, uh, you know, rejections. And so I was, um, I, I was at uh, an RWA um, regional conference, uh, the, the Spring Fling in Chicago, which is, by the way, an yes. amazing conference. It just moved um, online for this year. But, but uh, here I was, and I was in a publisher's spotlight. And uh, uh, Martin Biro from Kensington was doing the Spotlight. And for those who don't know, Spotlights are when the publishers kind of do a little sales pitch to authors saying, please submit to us because this, this, this is what you will get. And this is who we right. are. So it's the opposite of an author pitch. And here we have a room full of authors sitting there very hungry, uh, you know, hearing him speak and at every uh, publisher spotlight, the one thing you always hear is that they're looking for something different, right? And right. so right. when he said that, I put my hand up and I said, um, you know, um, what would you say if somebody came to you with, say, a Bollywood romance? And um, and there was print drop silence in the room because I don't think you're supposed to pitch your <laughs> book straight. Right. And I hadn't thought well, this through or anything. And he, um, you know, and his eyes lit up. And uh, he said, well, why don't you, you know, after I'm done with this, why don't you come talk to me and tell me about it? And, sure, and you know, and I, you know, it it was <laughs> it was the craziest thing. But I went and saw him after. We talked for a while and he requested the whole, uh, I mean, the full. And then yes. I waited another nine months because I really wanted a career. I didn't, you know, I, I wanted an agent. And I could not find an agent. And then finally, almost like six or nine months after that, um, he, the, the, an agent who had loved my writing, who'd done a revise and resubmit with me and all of those things, she said, uh, you know, she passed. And because she was busy with something else, you know, just the way that the universe was working, it told sure. me that, okay, I'm not going to forward this book right now. I'm going to have to, you know, bite the bullet and send it off to editors myself. I'm not going <laughs> to get an agent. And um, and the editor, you know, was at that point, Kensington was the only one who was doing, who was handling, you know, was putting out uh, commercial fiction and genre fiction that was diverse. So they were my dream publisher mm-hmm. because they were the only one who knew how to do it. And so I was terrified to send it to them because once you get a rejection, you know, you're rejected. But yes. I kind of, at that point, I was like, I'm going to have to do this. I'm not going to find an agent. And so I hit send. And in, in two days, um, you know, I, I um, get an email 
and you know how how um it how, how it is it's called the call for a reason you get rejections by email and you get offers you know on the phone and so when i saw the email come in i just you know it was this horrible horrible tragedy and i just slammed my laptop shut I couldn't no. open the email, and uh, and and it was a day when my husband had taken the train into the city, so I went to the the, the train station to pick him up, and um and he and he saw my face and he said, "What's wrong?" And I said, "Well, Kensington got back to me," and he said, "And?" and I said, "And I don't know. I didn't open the email." <laughs> and so, so we came home. And uh, and you know I was I was really like you know distraught, and he said, mm-hmm. "Do you want me to open the email?" <laughs> and I said, uh, "Yes." And so he oh you know so so he opened my laptop up and he opened my email, and I am standing there thinking, "My gosh, my life is over," and mm-hmm. uh, and he opens it and he says he wants to know when he can call you. <laughs> so <laughs> and I actually fell down on the floor. We were very dramatic. So I lay on the floor and sobbed, like floor of my kitchen, and I sobbed. True story. Yeah. And, um, and, and you know, and after that it was, so within a week I had an offer, and then after I had an offer, I, um, you know, found an agent, um, and, uh, and, and Martin Bureau was a dream first editor, dream first editor. I um, absolutely loved him. He let me do exactly what I wanted with my stories and supported me 100%. Like it was just fabulous to have him, exactly what I needed at that point. So, so it 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 turned out well, but but that was that that's my, you know, the call story. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's those things that people don't even you know when they're talking about what it takes to be a writer. Um, you're going to, I keep, my daughter wants to go into it and I've, I've talked to her quite a bit and it's, it's that feeling of telling them, okay, so get ready. You're going to hear no a lot more than you hear. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just how oh. it's going to be. So you're just going to have to I mean, get up and brush yourself off and try again. Yeah. And you need one. Yes. Right. I used to, and these are things people tell you that you keep in your mind and, you know, yeah. and because they're, absolutely your guiding light. I mean, you can have a thousand rejections and no's, mm-hmm. and it means nothing the moment you get one yes, right? I mean, it's that that's basically. Right. Um, and, and that gets repeated over and over again in, in the process of the career, but you really only need one yes, yes and you need one person, you know, one editor to like your, like your work. Well, and you standing up and saying, or, you know, raising your hand, it, it reminds me, I... I went back and, and listened to your librarian speech um, from 2018 um, at RWA, Thank and you. you talked about who's allowed to speak. And so you standing up and saying, would you be interested? Um, you know, those, those moments matter. And, you know, here we're talking because you took that chance, you, that leap of faith in your work, in your story, and, and um, you know, and we're all better for it because you said, you know, I have something to say, and here we are. Thank you. So, yeah, thank and you know, you and people saying. tell me. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, and people tell me that you know, oh my gosh, that was like such a brave thing to do. And in all honesty, at that point, um, you know, again, gross story, but it was. Um, I, I actually had to go up and change because I was 
completely covered in sweat. Like I was so, I didn't even realize how terrified I was. But, you know, but but at that point, and you have to, I mean, within, you know, of course you have to be polite and of course you have to be all those things. But mm-hmm. um, but you're your best advocate. And, uh, you know, and that's, um, th- th- nobody else is going to, um do this for you, you know, you just, so yeah, speaking up for yourself and asking for what you want, I think is um, probably the the single most important thing um, anyone um, has to learn in life, right? And and it's not always easy. And he could have just told me to leave the room, right? (laughs) At that point, so... Um, but 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 you're right. I mean, it is, um, if I, that... that, uh, to recognize a moment and slip into it, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that is that's and and that's not again simple, you know. It it it's it's it it has to be opportunity meeting, you know, meeting luck, meeting a lot of hard work before that, all that, and 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 so speaking up and then having you know having the courage to go on if after having you know every time you speak up if somebody shuts you up and you let that become internalized then. You know that's a loss too. So it's all kind of this crazy mess. But yes, it was it was a day I will never forget. It sounds like a brilliant day. Um, and so now your most recent book, Recipe for, Persu- for Persuasion, came out Tuesday. Yes. And so tell us a little bit about this book. All right. So um, it. Is uh, the story of um, it's the story of a chef who is running her dead father's restaurant, um, and it has uh, she's not been doing a good job. It is um, on the edge of ruin, and um, and she's trying really really hard to save it. And as uh, because she carries, you know, I mean, there are reasons why she ended up taking it over, and she carries a lot of guilt with respect to her father and a lot of things, um, you know, which have um, which have kind of trapped her in trying to save this restaurant. And as a last ditch effort, she gets, um, you know, she uh, gets get gets an opportunity to get on this um, food network show called Cooking with the Stars. Which is like mm-hmm. dancing with the stars, but with a chef and a celebrity. And so she goes on the show when you know when that is not at all her natural in- inclination. But she goes on uh, this show as a last-ditch effort. And uh, the celebrity she gets stuck with is the boy that um, you know that she dumped in high school, uh, and he believes it oh was under familial pressure. And so she's uh, and he has then gone on to become this World Cup-winning football slash soccer player. Oh. And right. uh, and and so now he's you know he he's this huge soccer star, and um and and he's her partner. So that's uh, that's that's basically the setting of the story. And he's back for closure. You know it's it's been um his uh, his career is over. He's retiring, and he's you know he he kind of um, has also been stuck in this place that that incident with her has put him in, where. You know, he can't seem to, um, you know, he, he wants a family, he wants all of those things, but he can't seem to make that happen because, you know, these internalized, um, that experience, whatever he's internalized from that experience has, uh, you know, stymied him. And um, and so he wants closure and he wants to move on. And so he kind of um, manipulates his way onto the show. And she... Um, 
you know, she needs this um, this restaurant to succeed so she can move on. And so they're both in this place right. where, you know, and, and so it's, um, that that's basically the premise. But it is also uh, um, a, a, almost also a love story with Ashna and her mom. So it's it's almost a two-generational um, persuasion retelling. And I don't want to say retelling. It's more an homage because, uh, you know, do Jane Austen's sure. story, but it's entirely its own story. So so her her mother and she are estranged um, and um, have been for many years. And her mother's story is kind of this weird mirroring of her own. She fell in love really young, and her very autocratic father uh, forced her into a marriage with Ashna's father, who was an Indian prince. And um, mm-hmm. and instead of being, uh, you know, a woman who says, well, this is my lot in life, and I'm going to make the best of it and make it work, she chooses to be. She's the kind of woman who says, this is not what I desire. I'm not going to be okay with this. And um, she decides, you know, to be someone who um, who says absolutely not, you know, this was not my choice, and I'm not going to, you know, be okay just because I have a um, a marriage certificate. And and her taking that stand, the collateral damage of it is Ashna. And so it is, mm-hmm. a, you know, I, I think an exploration of what happens when women don't do what is expected of them. And um, and and unfortunately, the child grows up with this horrific marriage uh, between her parents. And and so the mother-daughter have a long journey of healing and, you know, f- f- finding out uh, each other's, you know, seeing each other for the first time. And so it is these uh, these two love stories that are entwined, I think. So it's fun, the, the you know, the cooking show and all of that is kind of uh, a, a fun setting, especially for this time when I think we're all looking for escape. But um, but there's some you know some hefty stuff in there, so it's it's this um, you know it's this uh, th- this combined uh, escapist uh, yet will make you think kind of story. I, I can hope. Yeah, well, I mean, families are not easy. <laughs> They're just not. Oh uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Yes. You know, we we it's it's the most wonderful thing and it's the most chaotic thing um, mm-hmm. that so many of us have and um you know i know that there's plenty of people who say yeah well i don't you know i wouldn't know because of circumstances um but then you know you hopefully you build your family you know within that but even then when you build your own whether it's your your friends or whomever um there's always chaos and so yeah yeah i mean uh, yeah human beings are not simple <laughs> and, and no. um you know and and in story we focus on the the complexity and the craziness mm-hmm. that we all are and so and, and no story is fun without that but it also lets us work through a lot of these real things right like you know the mother daughter relationship the best mother daughter relationship is still complicated so sure. um you know and and um this this series is set um it is basically about this uh, politically ambitious, very wealthy Indian family that's descended from royalty. Um, you know, they, they're uh, settled in California now. The oldest son is running for uh, California governor. So as it is, and so, you know, so they're the Indian Kennedy. So as it is, this is a family that is, um, you know, fraught with so much um, history and so much of what they want to do with it, and and it's a and it's a lot of complicated people, right? Because it's a yeah. lot of yeah. privileged, uh, intelligent, messed up, you know, dysfunctional <laughs> people. 
<laughs> so, so you know, and but they're also loving and affectionate and entirely too connected, um, you know, to one another. So, so, so most certainly, it's not a simple family, even as families go. Right. Well, and nobody wants to read about things that are easy because it's really boring. You want to read about yeah. things that are a little bit chaotic. So, well, we have about a minute left, as, and so I wanted. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I was going to say as, as long, long as, as there's the a end, happily, at the end. Yeah, as long as we yes. we simplify things at the end. I mean, I think to start complicated and drop it uh, without making any inroads into simplifying it, that's right. not something, uh, at least that's not something we write. So. That's right, that's right, we don't. Thank you so much for being here today. Please come back when your next release is out. I really want to talk to you again. Thank you. Absolutely. And we have been talking, I've been talking to Sonali Dev, best-selling author. Her newest book, Recipe for Persuasion, is out now. The book, uh, first book of the series, Pride, Prejudice, and Other Flavors, is also out. And you can find Sonali on her website, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And this has been Patricia W. Fisher with Readers Entertainment Radio. Keep on reading, everybody, and please stay safe. This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions www.cosproductions.com Please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle.